there's a pavement <laughs> underneath there. So the, see, that's some new additional stuff. A Roman game carved into the pavement right there. The soldiers would play that. Anyway, now I could go on and on. Oh, yeah. And then there's the... Wow. In, uh, Charles Warren in 1867 was making tunnels, excavating around, saying he's doing water work. And he found this fallen ashlar stone. He drew a drawing of it uh, in, in the gutter right underneath Robinson's uh, arch. In 2012, <laughs> I found it. <laughs> and so I, I put those together. Oh, wow. that. And so anyway, there's that right. Now that gives. Now that we figured this out, we've got. <laughs> we may have a whole new level of technology coming to Bible study. Awesome. We're going to send it to the printer in August, for, right? Early August. Clint's got the first seven chapters laid out. Are we live yet? No. 16 seconds. Okay. He's got the first 16 cha seven chapters laid out. Uh, everything's edited up to the last 20 chapters. Uh, and I've got to do the last, put the pictures in as the, and do some more writing for the last 25. So we're, within a week, I'll be done, editing will be done, and we're live. And so we'll be having any notes, Tony, so I know what I'm talking about today. Uh, we are in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going back to Hebrews. And everyone says, all right. <laughs> That's what we're studying. Hebrews 8. Uh, it's a New Testament book. A long way through. I was going through the first 11 chapters a long, long time ago. Yeah, what page in our Bibles is that? Uh, but we're taught, we hit, in, I'll read through it. But we hit uh, the heroes of faith, and you know, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah. Then we hit Abraham, and there's several verses about Abraham. And so we went back and, and went through several chapters of Genesis about Abraham's life. I think we learned some things, we saw some things. And I think one of the things for me uh, is you've got Abraham who's, who the Lord is speaking to, who he, he's calling, making promises to. And Abraham is definitely fearing God, honoring God. Uh, obeying God, but at the same time is living in this age, in this world, and has got fears, concerns, responsibilities that he's dealing with. Uh, and, and sometimes his, his decisions down here are not exactly in line with the promise. Although he's believing and following the promises, he doesn't have a clear understanding. Like Paul writes, you know, they're beyond, uh, they're, they're greater than our understanding. Uh, and so when we hear God in the Word, or in Abraham's case, God would appear to him and make a promise, it's like, wow. And then you try to figure out how that's going to come to pass. And of course, there's responsibility on our part, on Abraham's part. But when God is speaking of something, it's, it's sometimes much larger than, than we can even picture. And again, that's almost a guarantee. What God is doing in your life is bigger than you can imagine, especially when you start looking at this. We look at these verses coming up today into the age to come. I mean, we're we're wrapped up in this age, which is normal. We are creatures of this age. Uh, we live in this age. We breathe this air. we got responsibilities, but yet God is calling us, preparing us for an age to come. And indeed, it's not just a place we're going to go and sit and you know, be so glad we're not in hell, but He's preparing us for an age yet to come that we can talk about it, but to say, you know, in detail, None of us have ever been there. 
And the best we've got is the Word of God. And Abraham is going to have many times where he's going to, uh, what we would say, fail or act in unbelief or in deception uh, as he tries to follow God and God continues to march forward with Abraham and, and his life. Well, here we go. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and I want to just, because it's been several weeks since we've been here, Hebrews 11, verse 1. And we're here heading towards chapter, verse 8. In chapter, and again, the book of Hebrews is uh, written between, six, probably 63 A.D., but between 63 A.D. and 66, 67 A.D., and is encouraging the people of Jerusalem, the Christians, most likely they are Jews, who are, are caught again in their life, living their normal life, but the world, their culture, is going to the temple, going back to the law of Moses, and is trying to reduce Jesus Christ to something within the law, within the Mosaic. The law of Moses, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, promised Christ, prophesied about His coming, but there's no way the law is going to fulfill what Christ has done for us. And so they're going to have to leave this, in a sense, the, the, the school uh, of, of preparation of the, the law and go to the real thing. The shadow, now they can go to the real substance of Christ. And if you just stay in the shadow, you're going to get confused. And they're, of course, being tempted to stay there, and their culture's drawing them back. So he's encouraging them to leave this behind and continue. He's not evangelizing. These are all believers. These, all these people that are reading this letter are believers, or he's addressing the, the, the church, the believers. What they're being tempted to do is to step back into something they're more comfortable with. And he's going to give this list of people that have left their country or left their city to look for a city that is unseen but is there. And he says, chapter 11, verse 1, Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And one of the words that's going to come up in our chapter today, or verses today, it's going to be translated thinking, but it is actually the word that we get it is also translated memory or recalling. It's going to be what you're thinking, what you're, in a sense, your memory, what you know to be true in the Word of God. You're going to have to remember that as you look into your life into the future. James talks about it this way when he says, uh, you're, he, James is addressing again the Hebrews that had been dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution most likely. And he says, you're like uh, a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then when he turns away, he forgets what he looks like. In other words, when you look at the Word of God, you need to remember that when you shut the Word of God and, and walk into life. And that's what these people are commended for. They're thinking or they're remembering the Word of God, the promises, the truth, even when they walk away and go into the world Ah, they're remembering, if this is passing away, there's something greater we're looking for. And so, faith, like it says right here, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But you know it's there. It's not, you're not fabricating it. It's no different than you going on a trip. We're going to go to New York. You know, we're going to go to Hawaii. We're going, it's like, well, you can't even see it. How do you know it's there? Well, you've got information. One, you've been there before. Now, we can't say we've been to the age to come before, uh, but there's maps, there's photographs, there's information. So you're not going to a place that you can't see, and, well, because I can't see it, how stupid are you to think you're, you're actually going to travel to that place? Can you even see Texas from here? No. How do you know it's there? 
well, I've got information. So I am, by faith, I now am sure of what I hope for. I hope Texas is there and certain of what we do not see. It, it's, not, it's not like Tinkerbell or Disney World where you're making some fabricated you know, dream world. It's like you actually know this place is there. And so they're not, they're not in some kind of dream state or wishful thinking. They, they're confident. The problem is you're living here right now in Iowa and Texas you can't see. You're going to have to, as you get on the plane, it's like, you know, we don't have trouble doing this because, you know, it's part of our world. But like when you're getting, packing your bags, it's like, I don't really think we're going to get to Texas. I don't think we're really going to go. I don't think Texas, you know we're leaving tomorrow. We know the plane is going to leave. You get in line, you board the plane, you fly because you're confident you're going to Texas. Well, these people of faith are confident of the age to come. Uh, they're not making up their, of, of the information they have in the Word of God and throughout history. They're confident. So they're remembering those promises. This is what the ancients were commended for, this very thing. And then we get this list. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, meaning everything you see came from God's Word. The very thing you're supposed to remember and think about is the very thing that created everything you see. So what you see came from what you're supposed to be thinking about. Uh, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice uh, than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man, again, because he had faith and did what he was right, when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. In other words, he, even, he has gone, but yet his, his words of faith still exist. We can still hear him speaking, we can still trust what he did and what he said, it's still alive today. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away to this other place. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God, and without faith is it impossible to please God. Now, right here. Stop. Without this, you cannot please God. Now, you're going to do all these. Now, again, there's a place you're supposed to obey. You're supposed to be obedient. And there's certain Christian things that in the Christian lifestyle you're supposed to do. But if you just simply make yourself a checklist of all these things, Christians, we're going to be Christian and do these things. We're going to call that legalism or pseudo-Christianity. You're just going to plug into a community and be part of this group. We go to church here. This is where we have our potlucks. This is where we play you know, sand volleyball. This is where we hang out. This is where we have our weddings and funerals. And this is just your church. Uh, but you do not think or have anything of the Word of God to remember. You do not have faith. You have a community group. Community group right here. You belong over here. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I belong to this group. Do you have faith? Uh, do you think about the Word of God? Do you know the Word of God? Do you have confidence? Are you trusting? Uh, if you do not have faith, you cannot please God. Pleasing God is what Abraham was commended for because he had faith. Now, sometimes we're going to go back to Abraham's life and we're going to see him being deceitful. We're going to see him asking questions. We're going to see him... But at the same time, we do see him obeying. We do see him, you know, following directions. But you see him fluctuating in and out. It's not. It's not based on this. We got expect you to obey. But what he's looking at is, do you have faith? And what is faith? 
Faith is, again, thinking, remembering the promises of God. And this is what he says. After going through the first three or four people, he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So if you're seeking God, if you know He's there, He's pleased. And Abraham, you have to admit, was seeking God. Uh, he got confused at different times. He made some decisions that we'd say, ah, that wasn't the wisest decision. Twice he you know, presented, tried to hide his wife as his sister and deceive the Pharaoh, deceive the king of, of the Philistines. Uh, not necessarily the greatest idea, but yet he did it. But in, this, in the process, he was trying to protect and obey God. He was trying to please God. Uh, by faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, Again, the flood was coming, can't see it. In holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he was commended, or he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Condemned the world in the sense of not his preaching, but in his action. The world was rejecting God. Noah was saying, I'm going to prepare for the future and obey God. The world was condemned by his action. Now, here we go. <clears throat> Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And that's where we got the story of Abraham going from Ur of the Chaldeans. Here's the, the Tigris, the Euphrates River, the Persian Gulf. Ur is right here. Here's the Mediterranean coast. Here's Galilee, Jordan, Dead Sea. Salem is right here. This is the land of Canaan. Uh, this is Haran is up here. And the Lord of Glory, in the book of Acts, says the Lord of Glory, which means the second member of the Trinity, appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldeans, and says, go, leave your father, leave your, your household, and go to the land I'm going to show you. So you're going to leave this culture, and I'm going to take you and create you into a new people. He went up, this is the travel route, up to Haran, five years in Haran, and then came down into Canaan, and he's traveling with a large group of people. He's got you know servants, he's got animals, he's got you know people that travel, he's got a standing military that's with him. And so that it's a large group. He's like a sheep moving into this land. And he's going to work around in the fields, having shepherds and protecting uh, the cities that he's got contracts with. And he's going to obey and go to a place that he doesn't know the end result. And we talked about this when we went through this earlier. When God leads us and guides us, we begin to follow God. But we do not know exactly where, we're, where I'm at today at 62. When I, I became a Christian when I was... Uh, 16, I think it was. I could go back and rehash it all and figure out, you know. But I would, grew up in church. But then about age 23, 24, I got more serious about God and began to study. And I, I was, I, and just like you, I'm not, I'm not saying, ah, oh, I'm, I'm the example. But just like you, at some point we started with God thinking, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to go this direction or, or this direction. But you start moving this way, kind of head here. <laughs> But God, in the process of time, events, experience, directs you over here. And now, my journey, just like yours, it wasn't here I am, and this is my goal right here. And when I'm 62, I'm going to be teaching Bible study in my living room, my family room. And there I am, I made it. That's not at all. I had, here, here's where God's taking me. Here's where I was going, I thought. I went here, readjusted, went over here. Then I went back, and now, this, I'll use this as an example, because it's going they had a chance to go back. I, a couple times I actually went back. It's like, dang, this ain't going to work. I better start again. Maybe it's this way. You know, and, 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 it, you know, in the series of it, and now here I am. 
And so we started, we're going to follow God. We're seeking God. Now we know God exists. We know He's going to reward us, meaning that He's calling us to something good. But when we begin walking, it's not like, ah, this is where I'm going to be in 40, 50 years. And Abraham's the same way. He is going to leave, but he does I mean, where his, the promise, the Abrahamic promise, Abrahamic covenant is today, and what has transpired over the last 4,000 years, including the coming of the Messiah, the death and resurrection, the salvation of the nations, and the waiting for the kingdom of God to come to the earth, Abraham knew he was seeking God, and there's something good, but it's when it says he, he knew, in a sense, where he was going. I mean, he's going to the promised land, the land of Canaan, but he doesn't fully understand the concept. And so you have that throughout these verses uh, where it's going to say Abraham obeyed and went, and then it's going to say Abraham didn't know where he was going. Or it's going to say Abraham received what was promised, and a couple of verses later he says he didn't receive what was promised. For example, he knew where he was going, but he doesn't know where this is going to end up. And he received what was promised, the son. But he did not receive what was promised was going to come from the son. All he received was the son. He didn't receive the land. He didn't receive a, a great family. He just received the son to hand off the promise and his inheritance so that the son could have a son. And the same, it's almost like a train starting. It's a huge train. And you're going to stand there your whole life. This train's going to take forever. Here it comes. We're going to watch the train. And pretty soon the train it looks like it's moving. And pretty soon it's like hundreds of cars. Huge train. We can't wait to see the train. And your life is only long enough to see the first car. It's like, it, it, but it's, it's a huge train. But, but it's going to take forever, not forever. It's going to take a long time to get this train moving. And Abraham spends his whole life watching the train. Here it comes. Isaac is born. And then he dies. It's like, what? I thought this was like numerous descendants, as numerous as the sand and, and the dust, and they're going to cover time and have all kinds of these things they're going to do across history. It's like, mm -hmm, yep. So he received what was promised. There's the train. He saw the train start. But he didn't receive, didn't see any of the rest of it. So it's kind of like he received, but yet he didn't. He knew where he was going, but he didn't, if that makes sense. That's not, that's not some postmodern. You know, no one knows. It's no absolutes. It's absolutely correct. He received a son with great promise attached to it, but he didn't live long enough to see the fullness. In fact, we haven't seen the fullness. And he knew where he was going. He was going to go to the land of Canaan, but he didn't know where this whole train was going. He can't imagine. Same thing. We have received good things from God, but you haven't received anything yet. You're still waiting. You are saved and born again and have the Spirit of God, but you are still waiting for salvation, which is the redemption of your, your body. So you are children of God, but we're waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So it's, it's, it's no different. It's not a contradiction. It's, it's the process. Okay, um, in verse, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the, in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Now again, this is one of the things God does. He says, I'm giving you this whole land. 
And it gives you the boundary. We went through it earlier, the boundaries of this land. But you're not going to get it. You're going to just live like a stranger. You're going to work for these people that contracts with with uh, 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 Melchizedek and and Enoch. Not Enoch. Uh, I'm thinking of the uh, the guys from Hebron. Uh, no, Eshcol, Mamre, Anner. These are guys he had contract even with with uh, the king of the Philistines, Abimelech. He had contracts with them, but he's always in their land. He's always a stranger. But yet someday it was going to be his land or his family's land. He was living as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. And again, those are the ones that are going to follow him, who were heirs with him of the same promise. In other words, he's not just going to hand them uh, the inheritance or the family estate. He's going to hand them the Abrahamic covenant. This is huge. This is, going to, this is the pivoting point of the story of Jacob. Is Jacob knows the value of this Abrahamic covenant. Esau is not interested in it. And he's, he's more interested in the here and the now, where Jacob is saying, this has got some serious potential for the future. And so he was willing to lie and deceive on a couple occasions to get the promise of God, where Esau was willing to give it away. Now you say, Jacob was, he was the deceiver, so it's not like an honorable thing, but it's one of those things where uh, he, he had enough fear of God and honored the covenant, the promise that this is valuable enough that whatever it takes to get it, I'm willing to do. Now again, we're not condoning deceit and this kind of behavior, but at the same time, it does show Jacob's faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jacob had now he could have gone about it a different way. In fact, we could rewind history. Now, I'm way ahead of the story. Rewind history. And Jacob, it was promised before he was born that they're the twins. Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. So the inheritance goes to the oldest. And so by 24 seconds or two minutes or however difference it was, uh, Esau is the oldest son. Jacob doesn't get the inheritance. But the prophecy was even before they were born, the younger will get the inheritance. The, the older will serve the younger, and the younger son is going to get the inheritance. So just like the promise to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son, but Abraham like, hmm, how will I figure this out? He had a son with Hagar. Ha, ah, we did it. It's like, no, just trust the promise. Well, Jacob, you've already got, Jacob, theoretically, if we rewind history, this is what Jacob had to do to receive the promise. It's, it's mine. It's just a matter of how God is going to give it to me. But instead, he's, he, doesn't, he, he, he wants the, to follow God. He wants the promise. He wants the, the covenant. But instead of trusting God, he lies, he deceives, he manipulates to try to get it. And so now we've got this, this human carriage trait. So you, you're, throughout the Bible, you've got this, this steady promise of God then you've got humanity trying to work with it the whole way through. It, it comes all the way down to the disciples. You know, these are the 12 disciples, you, you know, 11 minus Judas. Uh, and even in, as Jesus is preparing them, there's all kinds of crazy things they're coming up with. Like James and John want to call fire out of heaven and consume the Samaritans because the, the Samaritans won't let them cut through the, they're kind of get go around. Well, let's just consume them with fire. Jesus is like, oh, I mean, Imagine, these are the leaders of the church and the Messiah. I mean, he's on his way to Jerusalem 
and, and for execution. And they want they want to. I mean, they're not like early in the ministry. They're not like the first year of seminary. They're like you know just a month away from graduation. They're just a couple of weeks away from graduation. And it's like they're wanting to call fire out of heaven. Or you know, uh, Jesus is talking about going down to the crucifixion, and he explains to his disciples. And Peter says, "I won't let it happen." Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to arrest Jesus, Jesus the Messiah is in the middle of the the, the fulfillment of prophecy is going to be arrested by the guards overseen by the priest. And Peter takes out a knife or some kind of a sword. Probably some kind of a knife, more like a, something they'd use to cut up meat or sacrifice. And he cuts off the high priest servant's ear. He's going he's to take on the whole crowd. He kind of, okay, I got this. It's like, Peter, put away your sword. Jesus picks the ear up, sticks it back on the guy's head. He says, Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. In other words, if you live like a criminal, you're going to die like a criminal. That's biblical principles. In other words, you just committed, right here, you just committed a crime worthy of death. Let me get rid of the evidence. There, put that away. Okay, you guys are going to arrest me? It's like, like, so you've got these guys, here's God's plan. It's going this way. You've got Abraham and Sarah, and then you got all the disciples, all, everyone, everyone. And then here comes us. And again, to be careful... Because you've got to be hard on yourself because you need to obey God. You need to be obedient. You need to get in line with God and, and live the righteous life. But on the same side, when you find yourself, you know, going to Hagar or cutting off the high priest servant's ear or, you know, deceiving your brother to get the family inheritance because you fear God and all those things, every one of those things was done uh, going to Hagar. Or lying to his brother, or, or manipulating his brother, lying to his, his father, uh, cutting off the, All those things were done in fear of God, in obedience, in an attempt to try to... I mean, every one of them was stupid, stupid, wrong, bad idea. Put away your sword. Every one of them. But yet it's like, I appreciate your faith. I appreciate your faith. Nice effort of faith. I, Peter, yes, I thank you for your faithfulness. I wish Judas would learn something from you, but nonetheless, Judas kisses him and betrays him. Peter is going to go to this death with him. So it's like, both of them are wrong, but God's plan is going this way. And the same thing is in our lives. We're no, it's like, so you've got to expect yourself, at least for myself, as I read through Abraham, it's like, so many things Abraham did, it was like, what was he thinking? It's like, yeah, what were you thinking? But God's right here. And, and we're responding in faith. But anyway, here we go, back to the text that we're still just reviewing. Verse 9, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in the foreign country. He lived in, he lived, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundation whose architect and builder is God. So this whole time, and this takes this, this right here, You've got time, and you've got, let's just say, future. And when I say future, I mean eschatological future. You've got Abraham living in the land, in a tent. And why was he content to do this? Because he was looking forward to, he was looking, that he could see everything in his box, everything in his box was visible. But he was seeing, he was understanding he was knowing, he was remembering the city. The city whose architect and builder 
is God. Not, it's not here. He can't see this. It's not here. It's, it's, it's the promised city. It's the promised land. This is the promised land on earth. This is the future right here. He's never going to get here until it's time. He's living here, but he's, God is expecting him to make all of his decisions here based on this future right here. Now, he's still going to have to be responsible. He's still going to have to take care of all those people, all those animals. He's still going to have to make contracts, negotiate. He's still going to have to fight wars. But the whole, his whole motivation is, I'm heading here, and that is called faith. I'm looking for something bigger than what I can find here. That's why he didn't stay here. Now, in a sense, in his mind, in his thinking, in his emotions, it's like, I've got, you and me, we live here. We cannot escape this. That's God's plan. But we know we're not going to stay here. We're heading over here. And that is going to give him the opportunity to, in a sense, let these things go, understand he's living over here for this future, and help him make decisions. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Uh, in the NIV here, um, the, the, the NIV that I have, uh, and do you guys, in chapter 11, this is important right here, you guys, all your Bibles probably have, you're talking about Sarah, correct? By faith, Sarah. It says, by faith, Sarah. <laughs> See, this is a 1978 translation or, yeah, of, of the NIV. In the NIV it says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, right there is a very momentary and, and uh, mild, I don't want to say mild, translation, a deviation, in the NIV. If you look in all your, see that in my NIV, anybody else have an NIV today? Does yours say Sarah? See, you'd have what would say a newer translation than the 1970. I have a Dropbox. So it's just the opposite. I can, I can look at both. Oh, oh, okay. So you just got, in, in my footnotes, it would have uh, that it's maybe talking about Sarah. But in your Bibles, it has talking about Sarah, and maybe has a footnote, you could be talking about Abraham. Do you have a footnote saying you could be talking about Abraham? And, and if you don't, do you? Okay. If you don't, that's not a problem, because it's probably a very bad translation. Uh, if, if we want to, let's go ahead and jump into the notes here. On, on, on page, we got to come back, clean this all up. But on page four, page four. There on page four, you have the English Standard Version, which is a good tra good translation, and then you've got the actual Hebrew with the transliteration in the Greek English letters, and then the actual translation. And here, here's the English Standard. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That's the English Standard Translation. probably looks more like the translation you have in your Bibles. Uh, in the Hebrew, just reading the, the, the rough, straight across, literal translation, I mean, just word for word, it says, By faith also herself, Sarah, barren, 
power for conception of seed received even beyond the opportune age, since faithful she considered the one having promised. So there's really, when you read the Hebrew, there's really nowhere for Abraham to sneak in there, in that verse. I, there's Throughout church history, people have not wanted, some translators do not want to honor Sarah here because she laughed when God says, I'll return in a year and you'll have a son. And they want to put Abraham, and, the, and you can also see the phrase conception of seed. I'll, I'll read you the little notes that I've got right here. That refers mainly to laying down seed more on the male side, some would say, than the female receiving uh, conception or receiving the seed. So this is this sounds more like it's the man side, and since this must be talking about Abraham, and so they've actually, as you can see in my translation here, they put Abraham and put Sarah in a footnote. Now here to explain that again, this is a little. This is more than you really want to know, but. Uh, point, the first thing I say, some have debated if Sarah or Abraham is the subject of chapter 11, verse 11. Uh, a, Sarah is a poor example of faith. Now watch. Because she laughed when told of Isaac's birth. But now wait a minute. That makes it sound like Sarah laughed, right? And that God's plan is going just like here, steady. And Sarah's down here like trying to deal with it instead of understanding and being right there with God. See, Sarah, you should have been right there with God. Well, go back to our previous discussion. God's plan is here, and everyone he encounters is like trying to figure it, figure it out. And then I so I put this in point one under A. But she still feared the Lord because when he questioned her, she was afraid enough to lie when she says, "I did not laugh." Now understand, if you are a flat-out atheist or you are anti-God or you think this is completely stupid, and you hear the Lord tell your husband while he's eating there with a couple angels in the, you know, the story uh, that she just helped prepare the meal and she's waiting in the tent uh, that in a year you're going to conceive you're going to conceive and have a son in a year and it's like how's that? that's ridiculous okay first of all how many things have you read in the Bible that God is going to do in your life now or in the future if you weren't just all you know uh, uh, very fluent in Christianese. It's like if you just like dropped in and someone told you this is what God's going to do, you know, all you know throughout. It's like that sounds ridiculous. You would laugh, but at the same time, you wouldn't be laughing like ha ha, you're you're wrong. It's like it's it's beyond. How's that? How's that even possible? Now, for us who are Christians and we've been schooled and we've adjusted our thinking, it's like some of these promises just seem. We almost don't honor them. It's like just common sense, you know. Once we die, we're in the presence of the Lord, and then we're, you know, the reward seat of Christ, and we're with the Lord forever. And you got all these ideas, but to the average atheist or to a person who's unschooled, it's like some of the things that are in the Bible are like crazy talk. It's like, is that really going to happen? But the thing is, she had fear when the Lord says they're at the table or while they're lounging to eat. Says, why did Sarah laugh? And what does Sarah say? I didn't laugh. Which right there, my friends, is an act of faith. When the Lord says, why are you laughing? You're like, oh, no, I'm not laughing. I mean, it's like, it's like your parent. It's like, if you're not afraid of your parent, why are you laughing? Because I don't believe you're going to do anything about it. The kid would say, mouthing back to his parents. But if the parent says, why are you laughing? 
uh, 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 I'm not laughing. Okay, good. I'm glad you're lying because there's a little fear, a little respect here, if that makes sense. He goes right back to the same ideal of going to Hagar, cutting off the high priest ear, you know, whatever. She's showing faith. Uh, point two there, so her amazement at the ridiculousness and her fear of the Lord would be an indication of faith. In other words, God makes a promise. That's ridiculous. How, how's that going to be? You're laughing at it? No, 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 I'm not laughing. She did have faith. She was an honorable woman. And I think that is what, another point there, everyone so far, if it's by faith Noah, by faith Enoch, by faith Abel, by faith Abraham, now it says right there in the text, you see the Hebrew, by faith Sarah. And no one has been mentioned so far, no one by name has been mentioned, that is not considered someone of faith already. So to mention Sarah's name here, you know, if he was just saying, you know, Abraham's wife or something, maybe a discount, but he's mentioning Sarah, and he's mentioning the same formula, by faith Sarah, that means he's talking about the faith of Sarah right here in this, in this verse. Uh, there's other things there. You can see the phrase, uh, that's uh, catabolin uh, spermatos, means to conceive seed. Uh, some would say, you know, I've got it written, we refer to the male, but it fits with the female. So I think right there, that clears that up. So fortunately, that little time period in 1978 when they tried to stick Sarah here in the, the this NIV translation, that's been corrected, and I think there's some proof of that right there. Let's continue reading as we go through this. Uh, after Sarah, verse uh, 12, And so from this one man, through Sarah, and he as good as dead, so both Sarah is mentioned as being old, Abraham is mentioned as being old, in verse 12, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the seed on the seashore. Now that's being written in 63 AD, so that's being written 2,000 years later. So now they're saying there was one man and one woman who both were like trying to figure out God's plan, but they believed and had enough fear that they honored it, but they couldn't figure it out. But one man, they produced one son, and that one son is going to have another son. So we're talking now about how small. The, the number one there is the ideal of one is how small this began. You've got one man, one woman, and both of them are too old. It's ridiculous. The fact that the fact that Sarah lacked, it'd be like going to the doctor as a 90-year-old woman and says, well, it, you know, it, it looks like it'd be a great time to start having children. And you'd be like, I mean, you would laugh. The nurse in the room would laugh. The only person taking it serious would be the doctor because he sees or understands something. In this case, the doctor's God says, you're going to have a son. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Because I'm the one who's in charge of this, but I am doing this. So for her to laugh would be understandable. But Abraham, the one man, is going to have Isaac. Isaac is going to have Jacob. And then from Jacob is going to come the twelve, right here. So one, one, one. And by 63 AD, just like in our day, they can say, they, they, they'll say, they are becoming, or will be, they say they are as numerous as the stars and the dust. So in 2,000 years, it has taken place. They've seen that. But they deal with the one. And when it says one, uh, becoming this many, this is not, watch this, if you want to break this down, it's not just the number, 
of many people. It's also going to be the effect. The many effects of what will happen. I mean, how many things happen because of this one man? Yes, many <coughs> people numerically, but many things were done and locations. Where are they at? It's, it's, they're all over the world. So, and again, when it talks about, as you know, the, the, the stars, now this is not a guarantee. This is not a guarantee interpretation, but it's worth considering, and people sometimes build a lot on this, but and it's, it's not necessarily wrong. Galen, can I ask you a question? Why do you use the word dust and not sand? Uh, because some places it talks about dust, oh, I think. Okay. Is it sand? The stars of the sea and the sand on the. Is it says sand? Okay, I'll go with that. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, other places. The sand on the seashore is what mine says. Sand on the sea. Okay. That just sounds better than dust to me. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, now that we say that, I wonder how many places it it says dust. In fact, that'll be something. Way will probably do it quick on his phone rather than do like words. <laughs> but uh, the idea here is, and again, this is this is clearly talking about natural descendants. Um, the stars would naturally be the Jewish seed. The sand could be, and often, especially when you get into dust, is talking about the Gentiles. And so this would be. Not just the, because we are born, like in Galatians, we are of the faith or of the seed of Abraham, even as a Gentile. We're not Jewish. I mean, I'm not Jewish. Although in 650 AD, I traced my lineage down for three generations to the Ben David family in Persia. Did you know that? Yeah, it didn't come out of the spit test, though. I'm not. I was trying to find a little. Something special, but no, I'm English German, just boring English German, nothing special. Uh, this would be the, the same. So Abraham, his faith is going to produce a, a, a natural descendants, but also Abraham's faith is going to spread around the world to the Gentiles, and that's Moses talked about it, Isaiah talked about it. Uh, it's from the you know, beginning, Genesis chapter twelve, when the first call. All nations will be blessed. It's not just your nation, your one nation, but through your nation. It doesn't say because of your nation. It doesn't say because of your nation, all nations are going to be blessed. It says you're going to become a great nation like the stars. Count them if you can. But that same faith and because of what God is doing through that nation your descendants will increase and they'll be of the faith of Abraham like is addressed in Galatians and Romans. So sometimes that that is hinted at that. I think you can build on that a lot stronger in the book in the New Testament. I think in the context here, it's just talking about an example. As numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sand on the beach. Uh, But you can build on that. that There may be a little double meaning in that because, again, the many numbers, the effect, the location... And all of that is because of one man. Now, this goes back to, uh, uh, as far as application, you know, you and me. I mean, the little bit that we are, the little Christian life that we're living, uh, it, it, it's like you just stay faithful. The little, I, Abraham is actually only going to have one son. I mean, all the things Abraham did, 
one son. But that's enough to get this train started that by the time God's plan gets gone by, the whole world has been affected by it. And same thing with us. I mean, God's got a plan for our life. We can't write God's plan for our life. I mean, that's, that's the thing. You didn't create yourself. You didn't design yourself. You're here. You didn't pick what time, time you lived in, what place you're born in. You're just here. I mean, that's how... I mean, you come into this postmodern age and you just want to bend their mind. You are such a slave to God. I mean, He chose the time that you are going to be born. He knows the day you're going to die. He chose the place that you were born. He chose the family and the economic place in the system where you were born. And He chose your gender, just to trip them up. It's like, and it's like, you can't do a thing about it. You are a slave. You can do one of two things. You can cooperate, we'll just say obey, and be blessed because God created you with a plan at this place, at this time, as this gender, in this economic setting. He didn't make a mistake. You're here where you're supposed to be. Obey, seek God, and be blessed. Without faith, you cannot please God, but with faith, no matter where you're at, you can please God. Or two, you can rebel against God, against His plan, against your place, against your time, against your gender, against your economic step, against all the, t against His plan for your life that's leading towards blessing. And you can rebel and death and damned. It's like, it's like, oh, that's not fair. Okay, we're not talking about fair, we're talking about real. It's like, well, I want to be my own God. But you can't be. God, that's already taken. In fact, God created you. So the only thing you can do is seek that God. The smartest thing for you to do, instead of rebelling, is say, okay, I face the fact. I mean, uh, I mean unless you disagree that you chose where you are going to be born. You chose your parents. You chose the time in history. You, for some reason, you chose the 20 and 21st century. And you chose this gender. Now, again, are, are we just going to start? And we have. We are Postmodernism is deconstructing reality. We saw it start in the 60s against marriage. And then it started into the families. And we're starting to deconstruct. We started in the 1800s. We started deconstructing the text of Scripture into nothing but mythology. And now, unbelievable to us coming out of the 60s and 70s, they're deconstructing gender. It's like, what? What? I mean, that's even strange to someone in 2010. Now, again, if you're progressive and postmodern, it's not strange at all. It's, it's cool. It's progressive. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to unravel. It, it can't, you can't, they just keep deconstructing. Are you going to deconstruct the place that you think you chose where you're born in time? You're going to switch your time? Are you going to switch your location of where you're born? You're going to switch your nationality? I mean, all these things are, you have no choice in the place, the time, the nationality, the family, the economic status your family was when you were born. This is who you are, your gender. 
You're, you're, a, you're a slave. That reminds me, of, and I've done it before, Psalm chapter 2. Let us throw off the shackles. This is just worth reading again. Because this is, this is our generation. This is our generation. And I say our generation. This is humanity. But sometimes the Word of God, truth, reality, puts a lid on it. Psalm 2. It puts a cap on it and holds things in place. It forces you into understanding reality. And you understand, this is not a bad thing. This is not like, well, this is terrible. God created reality. God created me. And now I've got to obey Him. That's my only option. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, really, you're going to like create your own universe? Create your own self? I mean, yes, you can. You're made in God's image. But you are still going to be in rebellion towards the true God, and you're going to end up in death and damnation. But if you'll just seek God, and He, he created you, when, he, when the man was created, He said it was very good. Very good. You're, you're very good. Now, you have a sin nature. You're, at the same time, you're very corrupt. But by seeking God, He's provided a Savior and He's provided information that you can learn to walk with God. And we're just talking about people that are following God. None of them are perfect, but they're all addressing one thing. They have faith. It's like, we know this is right. I, I am not perfectly obedient, and I'm not earning my own blessing. I'm seeking to obey, and in the process, God is leading me into blessing. In this age and in the next age especially. But it's not, it's not based on my perfection. It's based on my faith. My, those who seek God, you must seek Him. You must, with faith you can't please Him. Psalm chapter 2, talking about being a captive, which you all are. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? <coughs> ah, we're going to rebel. It's like, as, now again, if you may have an individual who rebels against God... Or you may have a community who rebels against the ideology of God and Christianity, if we call it today, because it's been progressing since the Garden of Eden. And that may spread into an entire culture. And in this case, they're starting with the entire nation has now conspired against God. And the people's plot in vain. That can be an individual plotting rebellion against God. I'm going to rebel against marriage. I'm going to rebel against family. I'm going to rebel against the concept of God. I'm going to rebel against my gender. I'm going to rebel against okay. That's people plotting in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against Yahweh or the Lord. This is where it ends up. This is a prophecy. This is an eschatological snapshot of history. It, it, it began in the garden, and it, it, it's been happening, you know, the days of the flood of Noah, that, it got bad. And throughout history, God has been controlling this, but it's ultimately going to be let run its full course at the end of time. So this is human nature, but this is talking about ultimately at the end. It says, and the rulers gather together against Yahweh. All the nations are going to come against Yahweh. Prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament talks about the last battle. <coughs> and against his anointed one. That's where we get to, that's the anointed one. That's the Messiah. Hebrew Messiah or the Greek translation Christ, Christos. The, the, the anointed one, the Messiah. 
So you've got Yahweh and then his anointed leader, which is Jesus Christ in his prophecy goes. The world says, the nation says, the kings say, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. That's exact that is postmodernism. I mean, it's been happening throughout history, but it's manifesting in our culture as postmodernism. Progressive. I mean, it's as progressive as uh, homosexuality is in Sodom and Gomorrah in 2000 BC. I mean, it's like, how progressive, it's like, it's not progressive, it's human nature, it's been like this since the dawn of time. It's, you're not progressive, you're just in rebellion. Progressive would be technology. But changing your gender, rebelling where you're at in time, rebelling against God, <laughs> denying the truth of the Word of God, that's progressive. The Word of God, I don't even think it's true. I just think it's merely the word of man. Ooh, so you're saying, did God really say? Which was said in Genesis chapter 3. It's like, ooh, we're progress we're, our church is progressive. We really don't believe that's the word of God. We're more culturally relevant. Oh, Genesis chapter 3. We're talking 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 B.C. Welcome to the New Age. It's like, you're not progressive. You, you just don't know anything about history, and you're just doing... This rebellion, which is new to you, but it's, it's, it's the same. You want to be a rebel? Go here. Obey God. Seek Him in this age and be a rebel. Light the place up. Obey God and be blessed here and in eternity. And then flaunt it in their faces. Yeah, march for Christ. It's like... This is, this, is, this is the rebel. When you want to find a rebel in Scripture, that's why Abraham is meant, this chapter 11, the heroes of faith, by faith, by faith, we're talking about the rebels of history and what they do. They didn't do this. They rebelled against the cosmos. They rebelled against the world system. They were called to leave and go to a place they can't see. They're not just doing what everybody else is doing. They're doing something brand new. Progressive. This is progressive. This is cutting edge. This is like, no one's seen this before. It's like, okay, right. This, did God really say? <laughs> that, we, we've heard that. that. That's the first Sunday school story you hear. Did God really? Oh. Oh, anyway. The leaders are going to say this. And they have and they are. Let us break their chains. Whose chains? Yahweh's and the Messiah's. And say and throw off their fetters. We're not gonna. We're not gonna obey. We're not gonna have them tell us what gender we are and what nation we are and, and all these limitations and who is king and who's what sin is. We'll we'll create our own universe. We'll have what we call progressivism or postmodern. Okay, watch God. God is so hurt. God is a very emotional God. He wishes the people would listen. He feels so bad. He cries. He weeps. He begs. No, no, no. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Meaning, you do not know how much of a captive you are. You can't even change time. You can't even change location. Even yet today, 
Oh, we've got jet planes. We can fly around the world. Right. But you still got to sit on that stinking plane and travel. I don't like it. It's like, talk about it. I'm captive to this boat. I'm going to go there. Yeah, but it's going to take you some time to get there. Yeah, but it's going to use a plane, right? But you still got to sit in that little seat. You can't, you can't escape your body. You can't escape time. You can't escape location. You can't escape your gender. Yes, we can. No, you can't. When the archaeologists dig your grave up in 2,000 years, you're still a man or a woman. It's like, why does this man have woman clothing on in his tomb? Ah, must have been the 21st century America. They were screwed up. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, laughs, scoffs, then He rebukes them in His anger. First the laughing, then the scoffing. That's like, the t it's like, how stupid are you? It's like the toying with them. Understand, God is, you are not going to change this plan of God. The United States of America is not going to change this plan of God. Your progressive, postmodern universities are not going to change this plan. It's not... The one in heaven laughs at your universities. Then he scoffs you who follow it. And then, when he's done and you have not changed, he terrifies you or rebukes you in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Laughing. You can't change this. Scoffing. How stupid are you? Can you change your gender, your time, your location? No. How stupid are you? and then rebukes them with the truth, and then terrifies them in His wrath. After the laughing and the scoffing comes the instruction, which is the rebuke, that this is ridiculous. And then here's your reality of judgment, and terrifies them when wrath comes to eliminate them from history. I mean, that, that's, that's like, that is nothing new. And that's where history is headed. And he says, I have installed my king on Zion. That's the Messiah. Which manifested as Jesus Christ, who is going to return and set up the kingdom. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. Now this is David writing, verse 7. That is David writing. David wrote this, not in an editorial in the newspaper last week, or on a blog somewhere last week. David wrote this 1000 B.C. This is 3,000 years old. And then David says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. Now, just here, here's now the flip side. He said to me, You are my son, today I become your father. Talking to the Messiah. Ask of me, this is Yahweh speaking to his Messiah. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. You, the Messiah, I will give you free reign. Ask me, and I'll give you all the nations. Now this is what the progressives want. They want they want one world order. They want all the nations. You can't have all the nations. Not even the Antichrist gets all the nations. People think the Antichrist is going to rule the world. If you see him marching back into the east, he's got an enemy in the south, the king of the south, the king of the east, the king of the north. He quickly defeats the king of the east, but he still has to face the king of the north and the king of the east. The king of the north comes down, the king of the east comes across, they all meet together to try to decide who gets all the nations, and about that time, the sky opens up, the Messiah shows up, and they don't get any of it. But even the Antichrist, whoever he's going to rule the world, 
he's going to rule a portion of the nations who are going to come against the others in an attempt to get all the nations. So, you know, you're not going to get all the nations. The progressive state, you're not going to make a new world order. You're going to try and you're going to destroy everything in the everything be destroyed in the wake of your attempt. But it will not work because God will not give it to you. He established the nations at, after the flood at the Tower of Babel. He established all the nations. That's not going to change. There's still going to be nations in the kingdom of God. They'll just be under the leadership of the Messiah. There'll still be nations. He's not even going to have a one world nation. He's going to be the emperor of all these other nations. There we go. He said to me, you are my son, today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possessions. You will rule them with an iron scepter, meaning unbending. Because it's like, it's not meaning he's not going to be loving, it's going to be absolute. This is, a, it's going to be absolutely the opposite of postmodernism. Postmodernism, there is no such thing as an iron scepter. We all make our own rules. Now when he comes... He'll get all the nations, and then he'll rule them with an absolute standard. There'll be no, this is my reality, this is my truth. No, this is the truth, and everyone follows this standard. Now, could you actually apply that today? Uh, you're going to have to have some kind of a government system that is somewhat subjective, because we do not have a Messiah. We are not looking for a Messiah today. That would be called the Antichrist. Okay, We're looking for good leadership. I think we've got a great institution in America, the Constitution. I think a great thing of how to organize it uh, and, and rule a nation. Again, that right now is controversial. That's probably that right there could probably land you in jail saying I support the Constitution. It's like that's like hate speech. What kind of wicked person are you? It's like okay, you have a you take about the iron scepter that's coming. Okay. He will rule them with an iron scepter. And the Constitution is not an iron scepter. It's a nice way to organize a republic of a bunch of fallen people working together, trying to find their way through time. You bring in an iron scepter today, whose is it? I mean, who, whose iron scepter are you going to bring in? It'd be a dictator or a king? Some kind of a death squad? You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. That is David's proclamation in verse 10. Therefore, David says, after making that talk about the, the, the nations, now the Lord's proclamation of what reality is, now David says this, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, what the best thing you can do today in your kingdom, in your nation today, in 1000 B.C. or 2022, is serve the Lord with fear. Just like, like Sarah. It's like, do the best you can, but understand, he, he knows. And rejoice with trembling, because it will be good. You'll be blessed. <clears throat> rejoice, but with trembling, meaning we're good because we're in line with him. Verse 12, and, you know, right there, Yahweh, I have established my king. You know, Yahweh and his Messiah. We already saw that, you know, the God and his son. So here, serve Yahweh. And what should you do? Kiss the son, meaning pay homage to his Messiah. He's not ruling here today. That's why they're talking kings. So he's not here today. In 1000, he's not here, but pay homage to him. He is here. He is the coming king. All the nations will be ruled by him. So the best thing you do is fear Yahweh 
and pay homage to his son. Lest he be angry, the son. That's Jesus Christ. When is the last time you went to church and the church you were born in church? Don't, don't, don't make the son angry. You won't like the son if he's angry. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. You don't pay homage to the Christ and you make him angry, he will destroy you. Whoa, Jesus. No, Jesus. He's like my brother. He's like, you know, he's cool. He accepts me as I am. Yeah, he died on the cross for your sins for you to come to him in repentance so he can change you and transform you into reality, into his truth, into absolute scepter, iron scepter ruler position. That's what he's doing. It's like, but you like, uh, I don't want to change. Uh, don't make him angry. You'll be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, in the Son, in Yahweh's kingdom. Okay, we out of time, we gotta quit. Somehow we ended up in Psalms from Hebrews as we talked about Genesis. So there it is. Uh, we gotta again, as always, clean up the mess next week. I'll pray and we're free to go. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the words of encouragement and, and hope. We ask that we would, uh, again, submit our own hearts, our own souls to you, that we would walk in your ways, that we would continue to learn your ways, and you'd continue to be merciful to us as we try to figure out how to walk in a way that is pleasing to you in this age. Father, we do, again, thank you for the truth and ask that you would lead us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.